Hello, this is Amy of The Wellness Strategy and welcome to your Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast that is much needed, a podcast where we are going to break down exactly what wellbeing is, including the idea of self-care. Now, don't rush to get your yoga mat though, because this is a podcast where we're going to look at real, raw conversations about what wellbeing really is. It's time to figure out what wellbeing is to you. It's time to understand where we got it wrong and it's time to start making some changes to your well-being both in and out of the classroom. Sit tight, grab a cup of tea if you need to, or maybe you want to listen to this while you're walking or driving to school. Get ready for some life-changing information. And as always, if you love what you hear, make sure you share it. Hey, hey, people, how are you? Wow, I've got so many things I want to talk about. Um, I had a six-day kundalini yoga teacher training retreat last week which is just so phenomenal it is one of the tools I use to really get me out of my own overwhelm Um, occupational stress was the formal diagnosis term which you've heard me talk about in the first episode uh, rut and I'm now embarking on that journey as a tool to be able to give you more of. So keep an eye out for that coming soon. I'll be running classes online starting once a week um, come August. But in other news, what I wanted to talk about today was why we can't sit around and wait for the system to change. Um, Sensitive topic, big issue, controversial, all of the things, right? But I want to talk about it from an individual level and I want to talk about it also from a collective school-based level. So let's dive in, first of all, at an individual level. You know, I I often come across people, whether it's teachers, those in the workplace, those in business, uh, or just um, friends, to be honest, people I kind of encounter who are in a space of, well, when this changes, I'll do X, Y, Z. And I too have been in that space, that frame of mind. But if I'm really honest, that never happens. You know, we we think that we've got to wait for something to change before we take action. And that's just not how it is. Man, I'm really diving into the content straight up today, aren't I? But this is where I'm at. And I think we need to have this conversation because I've noticed so many people have been reaching out to me, whether it's on social media, via email, looking for support, wanting to make a change, but not ready to commit and falling into a space of, well, I'll wait till the system changes or I'll wait until next year or I'll wait until we rewrite our annual plan or I'll wait until after this family event. And I think when we're in a pattern of waiting to do something, we will always find something else to wait for. You know, once the birthday's happened, we'll think, oh, I'll just wait till after the holidays. And once it's holidays, we'll think, oh, well, now I'm busy, so I'll wait till till the end of term. This is is similar to waiting for the system to change. We think, well, I'll wait till the system changes so that they reduce our work hours, so that they reduce the workload. I'll wait until they lighten our teaching hours and we have more time off class before I do something about what needs to change. And I just don't think we have time for that. I don't think we have time in our own personal life to sit around and wait for the system to change and to come at our own way of living our own well-being with a mindset of I'll wait until someone else does something about it first and then I'll do my piece. Now the reason I say this is because when I think back on my own experience 
if I adopted the mindset of, well, I just have to work like this because I'm a teacher and the system needs to change, so I'll just wait until the system changes before I do something about my own well-being, I'm not sure I would have made it out the other side. You've all heard me, well, if you haven't, go back and listen to the first episode, but you've heard me talk about this. And in fact, this is the first chapter in my book. It was a painful experience. And if I stayed in a space of, I'm going to wait till someone else does something before I do, I would have been significantly more unwell than what I was. It just makes me feel awful thinking about that. And I think too, knowing that some people have that mindset, have this idea that they can wait. We don't have time to wait. When we also adopt a mindset of, I'll just wait until X, Y, Z, in a way we're handing that power over to someone else. We're saying, you know what? I don't really have ownership of what's going on in my life. So I'll wait until someone else does something before I take action. Your ability to take action is within you right now. You have everything you need to be able to start making those small incremental changes wherever that may be for you. So if you're someone who wants to find more balance in their life, want more energy, want to be more productive in the way they approach their work, want to feel more engaged, want to have better energy levels and function more optimally throughout the day, you have it within you to start making changes to achieve those outcomes in a sustainable and long-term way. You know, this is the work I do with my one-on-one clients and very soon I'll be launching an exclusive small group coaching team where we're together going to unpack these things. So keep an eye out for that. But I mean, and also these are people who are proactive saying, you know what, I want something. How can I work with you? How can I help you? They're not sitting around going, well, I'll just wait for the system to change or I'll wait for, you know, the sky to turn purple. Some of those things just aren't possible right now. And as I was saying, if we stay in that space, we don't get anywhere. And it it is within us to be able to take those shifts, make those shifts, create those changes. Now, I know you might be listening to this and perhaps rolling your eyes thinking, oh, here we go, another person telling us that we've got to make the change. And look, I get it. This is not a name, blame, shame thing. This is about saying at an individual level, we really can do this work. Now, let me tell you what happens when you do this. If you seek out to create change and you put some things in place to better enhance your own life, your own workplace well-being, your own daily, everyday well-being, you are going to operate from a place of a higher vibrational frequency. Bit of a spiritual term, I hear you, but what does that mean? It means that you're going to feel lighter, you're going to feel more energized, you're going to feel happier, and your frequency, which is really about how you go about your day is going to allow you to shift and influence others. Now, we know this is true, right? Happiness is contagious. Positive thinking creates positive thinking. Creativity creates creativity. Open-mindedness creates open-mindedness. It only takes one person to shift the state of a team's energy in a meeting. It only takes one person to suggest as a family, we should go out for a walk every evening to get some more fresh air and spend time in nature and build connection. And then it happens. Now, whatever it looks like for you, the people you can bring with you on this journey will be influenced by your own frequency because you are more uplifted. When that happens, this is where ripples occur. We start to impact those close to us. They impact those close to them. They impact those close to them. And it goes on and on and on. This is how we actually change the system. 
This is how we change the world. This is how we change groups of people. Individually, we take a stand, we do what's needed, and we influence those around us and the ripples keep going and going and going. It's such powerful stuff. Now, at a school level, this is how we create cultural change. We find people who are willing to do the work. We support them to begin to make change and allow them to influence those around them. Is such a crucial piece in building collective efficacy and the power of peer influence. And I don't mean like, you know, um, in a way that is about persuading someone, but it's about modeling the way we can be. It's about saying this is the culture we're creating and the environment we want to be a part of. Get on board with this. This is exciting stuff. So at a school level, if you're a leader or you're leading a well-being team or you're even interested in this space, I'll say again, we don't have time to sit around and wait for the system to change. Like we just don't have time. And there are amazing schools I'm consulting with at the moment who have realized this and who are like, actually, you know what? We can do epic stuff in our school right now and we're going to do it. Because if we wait for the curriculum to change, if we wait for workload hours to be reduced, if we wait for them to find more teachers, and like I know some states and territories have said they're going to add more teachers into the system, but I'd just like to ask, where are these teachers coming from? We know we're in the thick of a teacher shortage. We know that there has been data collected on this for years and nothing has happened about it. The system didn't change then and here we are in let's be honest, a crisis situation, there aren't teachers. We need to build thriving workplaces that attract teachers so we can keep them and build cultures which support our teachers to function optimally, both in and out of the classroom. That's it. Now, this means at a school level, you start to review and look at your system structures and and policies, procedures, processes. You start to think, hey, is what we're doing here supporting the well-being of our educators? This doesn't mean we stop doing our job well. We have to keep doing our job really well. That's how we get engagement. That's how we get productivity. That's how we get fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. For some of us, this is where we tick off our psychological well-being elements. It is important, important work that we do, but it means in order to make it, make it accessible, to make it easy, to make it efficient, to make it effective, and to make it maintainable, to keep teachers in the classroom, We have to look at, at a school level, what we're doing to support that. Now, I know that many have gone down the morning tea, birthday cake, table tennis table in the staff room idea, but that's just not where we're at anymore. So what does that mean for us then if it's no longer about the fruit bowls or the birthday cakes or the table tennis tables? Also, who has a table tennis table in their staff room? I really want to go to that school. It means that we keep doing those things, but we also come back to how do we at a school level support the well-being of our educators whilst also enhancing teaching and learning. And this is the piece too, I think, that we're not focusing on enough. We see these things as separate. I've also done a podcast on this, but it seems relevant right now. And this is part of the reason why we think we'll wait for the system to change rather than be proactive ourselves, because we're not sure how to prioritize both. We're not sure how to tackle both. We're not sure how to make each of these worthy, even though we know they are, but perhaps the things that tell us what we should be doing in a school don't allow for well-being to shine for our staff as much as it does for teaching and learning of our students. And I get this because teaching and learning is our core business, right? It is the thing we are there to do. 
But it's not just that. We're there to create healthy work environments. We're there to support one another. We're there to have schools that flourish, not just for the sake of our students, but for the, st- for the sake of our staff as well. Now, as I mentioned before, when I was talking about our everyday well-being and this idea that if we start to work on ourselves, we influence those around us, so too does that apply to the school space, to the school sense. If we work on our well-being at a school level, we can influence schools around us. We can show them that it's possible. Or perhaps if we do it in our team, we can influence other teams. This is why we can't wait for the system to change. Let's just take a moment and imagine if we did decide we were going to wait for the system to change. How long would that take? Do we have that time? Do we want to continue feeling like this? Do you want to continue feeling like this? Do we want schools to continue to struggle to get staff? Do we want teachers to continually feel on edge? Do we want students to miss out because of this? I certainly know I don't, which is why I'm here doing this work, because I genuinely believe, and at an individual level I know, the work can be done. It's just thinking differently. And it is complicated and complex, but it's certainly not impossible. It's not something that we can solve through PD alone. It's not something we can solve through having in a guest speaker talk about how to boost energy. I mean, yes, those things are amazing for our individual well-being, but at a school level, we have to be proactive as well. And that means looking at how we organize our school differently. This is why I'm so passionate and drawn to organizational psychology and well-being because that's part of how we do school, why we do it and what it means. That's where we're going to get change. That's where schools need to start to look. So if you're a leader or a leader of well-being, I encourage you to sit down for a moment and just ask yourself, if our system structures and processes supported the well-being of our staff, what would that look like? Again, this is the work I'm doing with some schools I consult with, and it's phenomenal. It is where they get the change. Now, the other thing is it's slow. Now, I I know I've mentioned we can't sit around and wait for the system to change because it'll take time, but the difference between that and what we're doing in this space is we are actually making change over a period of time, and whilst it might be slow, the ripples are huge. You know, it's like throwing a small pebble far out into the middle of a pond or a lake and watching the ripples slowly hit the shore. They come, one after another. The impact is massive. You can't underestimate the power of that small stone or shell you throw back into the water. And I think we are underestimating the power we have here. I think we're underestimating the change we can make. So I'm going to leave you with a few things. The first one is, Are you waiting for the system or something else to change before you take back your power and start thinking about what it is you actually can do? I want you to think about, are you perhaps outsourcing or giving power to someone else when you actually need to take hold of it yourself? And I want you to ask yourself, if you did that, what would it look like? What would it look like for your own well-being and what would it look like for the well-being of your school? Be you a leader or not, I mean, let's be honest, we're all leaders, but whether you lead a school, work in leadership or you don't, what would it look like if you started to say, hey, you know what, there are some systems, structures and processes that actually we can change here that would make working in this school better. What would they be? 
Where are you perhaps fixed in the way of thinking and where could you be more open-minded? Where is it that at a school level you actually need to ask your staff? I ran a great PD session with um, a group of school leaders this week. I'm consulting to this particular school, working with them on building their own wellbeing approach. It's a five-year plan. I mean, this is not a quick fix. But what I shared with them was we had a long discussion actually around collecting data. But one of the things that came up was, you know, what data should we collect and what should we do? And I, I was saying to them, the best data you're going to be able to collect is the data that comes directly from your staff in terms of anecdotal evidence. What are they saying? What are they thinking? What are they focusing on? What are they feeling? This is the best data. Now, you don't get this information from a sliding scale of rate your well-being from one to five or do you feel like your work-life balance is optimal graded out of 10 you don't get the information that sits behind why staff are only rating themselves at two or three you might get words like i feel burnout but what does that mean it's so abstract so the best data you have is asking your staff what does stress look like for you what is impacting your well-being if you could change something what would i what would it be because from that you're able to make proactive change based on real data rather than saying at a leadership level, 84% of our staff are feeling burnout right now. We need to change some things. Let's do X, Y, and Z. If you don't ask them what burnout looks like, stress looks like, what impact, what is impacting their well-being, you're making it up based on your own assumption and you could be way off. What impacts someone else's stress is not the same as the person next to them. That's why finding out what sits below the data is so important. And you know what? We do this for our students. We look at the data they get in NAPLAN or on another summative assessment and we attach a story to it. Yeah, but that student was experiencing blah, blah, blah at the time. Do we do that for our staff? Do we do that for our teachers? Do we do that for ourselves when we're not having a great day or when we're having a rough period, when we're going through something and things aren't where we'd like them to be? This is the data that matters. So if you're going to embark on a well-being journey around change and you're not going to wait for the system to change, and I highly recommend that you don't, then ask what is really at the core of the well-being of my staff and what do I need to change to be able to really hit this issue on the head? That's what we want to be doing. All right, team, I'm going to leave you with that. So many things to think about, I'm sure. Now, here's the deal. If you are like, yeah, I really want to do this work at an individual level, one-on-one coaching is available now. And soon I'm going to launch a small group coaching offer. This will be a small group of people coming together to work on different things that are happening in their life, as well as some pre-recorded content. I also am taking uh, bookings and interviews now for school consultancy as we move into 2023. I've mentioned before, but I'll say it again. I don't work with everyone. This work is so important that the people I work with have to be committed to make change and give this work the time, money, and energy. I say money because let's all be real here. It requires a financial investment. So all of the resources and investment to make this work. So if that sounds like you or you're slightly curious, I'm open for a conversation, just reach out. But other than that, find me on socials, share this with your favorite teacher colleagues or just any teacher colleague who you think would benefit from listening to this. Share it on your socials. Did I already say that? Um, Just give it some love and I will, of course, see you somewhere soon. Take care and I'll catch you later. Bye. (laughs) 
Okay, so it's not quite the end. We couldn't wrap this up without giving a shout out to our socials. So please make sure you head over to Facebook and follow us at The Wellness Strategy with Amy Green or join our exclusive Facebook group, The Wellness Strategy Collective. You can find us on Insta at underscore The Wellness Strategy and also head to our website to find out more about us and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at www.thewellnessstrategy.com.au. So much gratitude. See you somewhere soon. Let's do this again.